11. And that's where we are. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 34. You may or may not have been here for part one of this, but we will do a little bit of a review. Uh, but this is an ap- adapted from a pamphlet called The Purpose of Communion. And uh, it's based on these verses in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 34, where it says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily Eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. But if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come." As Paul was instructing the church in Corinth on the administration of the Lord's table, he wasn't sharing his own ideas. He says, I have delivered unto you that which also I received of the Lord, in verse 23 there. And here in 1 Corinthians 11, God gives us three purposes of the Lord's table. We looked last time uh, at the fact that the Lord's table is given to us to remember the Lord. We're given the bread, which symbolizes Christ's body. The bread reminds us that Christ's body was broken for us. This was the supreme sacrifice for our sins. Jesus allowed his body to be broken for us. And that is symbolized by the bread. And then there's the cup. As the bread symbolizes his body, the juice, the cup symbolizes his blood. The blood of Christ is the payment for our salvation. We are justified by the blood. We are washed in the blood. We are purchased by the blood. We're redeemed by the blood. The great price that Jesus paid for the church, his own blood, reveals the tremendous value that he places on the local church. We're redeemed by his blood. Colossians 1.14 says, "...in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins." You can't receive forgiveness of sins uh, by the water in the baptismal tank, by church membership, by good works. None of those things are enough. The Bible clearly tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so Christ redeemed us. He bought us by his blood alone. And the juice reminds us that without the shedding of Jesus' blood, we would have no hope, uh, no help, and no way to heaven. So salvation is available to us because Jesus gave his body to be broken and his blood was shed in order to pay the penalty for our sin. So if you placed your faith in Christ, according to what the Bible says, you've been declared righteous by a holy God. Salvation is not because of what we have done, but we come together to remember that salvation is by the work of Christ 
on the cross. Don't ever become weary of this time of meditating on his sacrifice for us because this is part of the purpose of the table is to remember our Lord, remember his sacrifice. It's kind of sobering, isn't it, that Jesus uh, instituted an ordinance so that we would take some time and remember, remember me. So don't become weary of it. Don't do it uh, out of tradition or out of duty because the purpose of the Lord's table is to remember him Remember his great love for us. Remember how far that love took him all the way to the cross. And focus your attention and your gratitude and your praise and your adoration on him. So we are to remember the Lord while we partake of the Lord's Supper. And also, the purpose of the Lord's table is also to revive his church. To revive his church. We remember his atonement for us on the cross. And when we do that, when we take a fresh look at the cross and at Calvary, it brings revival to the church. Why? Because revival comes when we obey the Lord's command to examine ourselves, to judge ourselves before partaking of the Lord's table. In my previous church, we would schedule revival meetings where we'd bring in an evangelist, we'd have extra services, and a whole week we would have revival meetings is what we called it. But you don't need to wait till a revival meeting to have a, a personal revival. God's designed this table to focus us on the cross. And if we truly focus on the cross and the penalty and the price for our sin, it brings personal revival. It should be a time of close unity with the Lord. It should be a time of close unity with one another because we realize that all of us had to come to the point where we placed our faith in Jesus' work on the cross. The ground is level at the cross, you may have heard. It doesn't matter where you are, if pastor, Sunday school teacher, deacon, it doesn't matter. We all got saved the same way through faith in Jesus Christ. And the cross brings unity uh, with our Savior and with one another. It brings revival through repentance of the heart. Through repentance of the heart. It's been said that at the heart of a problem is a problem of the heart. And God has particularly instructed us to examine ourselves during this time. We should repent of any sin we have in our life. We should examine ourselves and take that opportunity. The word examine there means to test, to prove, to scrutinize. Many in the church in Corinth were partaking of the Lord's table unworthily. That means without respect. There was many problems in the church. It was so bad that Paul said, you know, it would be better off if you didn't meet. It's that unprofitable that you've come together. But they were living in gluttony. There was divisions. There was lawsuits in the church. There was blatant immorality in the church. And in the midst of all of this sinfulness... They approached the Lord's table as if these sins, which Christ had given his body for, was broken for, and shed his blood for, were of no consequence. They still partook of the Lord's table. And this demonstrated a great disrespect for the sacrifice that Christ made. Jesus loved the church and purchased it with his own blood. And repentance begins with identifying the things in our life that aren't genuine our motives, our actions, our attitudes, our thoughts, and to scrutinize ourselves and to test ourselves and then repent. We can't be honest in our heart of hearts with ourselves. If we can't say the same thing about our sin as the Bible does, then we won't repent. 
And it's grievous in God's eyes when we come to this table with a hardened and proud and sinful heart. You know, over the years, I've seen some people in church, and they say, well, you know, I know I'm not right with the Lord right now, so I'm just going to pass this time. I'm just going to let the plate go by. Or I've seen others that, well, I've got a problem with the pastor or a deacon or somebody else, and until I'm over that, I'm just going to skip the Lord's Supper this time. And they let the plate go by. That's not an option. It's not there. You can't find that anywhere in Scripture. He doesn't give us a pass on participating. It's an ordinance. It's a command that we partake of this. Christ doesn't give us an option to skip it. Instead, the purpose of the Lord's table is to bring us to the point of saying, that's sin, that's wrong, and I'm going to repent and make that right. It's the time to examine ourselves, to scrutinize ourselves, to test ourselves. James 4.8 tells us, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. An old farmer once commented, many Christians spend six days a week sowing wild oats and then come to church and pray for crop failure. True repentance doesn't mean, Lord, just save me from the consequences of my sin. Just spare me from the consequences, but instead it turns from sin itself. If you and I were allowed to examine one another, that would be easier. That would be so much easier because it's, it's a lot easier to expose the faults of maybe your spouse or other church members. But notice God commands us to examine ourselves. We're to turn the examination inward. And that's not easy. Even D.L. Moody said, I have more trouble examining D.L. Moody than any other man I know. And before we partake of the Lord's table, we should examine our heart in light of the cross. Be sure you're saved. Be sure that you're living life purely before the Lord. Be sure that you've repented of any known sin. Think over the past week. Think back further uh, to the last time, last month, when you partook of the Lord's table. How has your fellowship with the Lord been in between? How has your fellowship with other Christians been in between? Are you growing in the Lord? Have you allowed something, uh, a bad habit or, or some, something fleshly to creep back into your life? Are you at odds with somebody in the church? This is the perfect opportunity to to scrutinize and to test yourself according to God's word. God desires a heart that is examined and a heart that is holy or separated to him. You know, when we were saved, we were called as a body of believers. We were called out, separated unto Christ, and our life should reflect that. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We should be sanctifying the Lord in our hearts. We should be set apart. We should be different. And the church in Corinth, think about this. The church in Corinth was surrounded by pagan, idolatrous, immoral worship. And some of the Christians in Corinth were still involved in some of those things. And Paul pointed out the foolishness of living their old lifestyle most of the time and then coming to church and hypocritically partaking of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 10 says in verse 17 through 22, 
For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything? Or that which is offered and sacrificed to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? The truth of the matter is this, and something that all of us would benefit from, is God desires complete ownership of our lives. He doesn't desire weekend visits. He desires complete ownership. He's jealous for our complete love. We can't give true loyalty to Christ when we're living in sin at the same time. We can't do it. So to live for the world and the flesh and the devil for the week, and then to come and participate in the Lord's table with plans to go right back to the same thing on Monday is dishonoring to the Lord and His love. The seriousness which God regards this table is seen in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. For, many for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, which is a biblical euphemism for death. There are some that are dead because of the chastisement of the Lord. God has called us to be a holy people, and our lives should proclaim His greatness to us. 1 Peter 2 says, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who have called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Even the world understands that someone who truly believes is going to stand out. Even the world understands what a true Christian looks like. They're looking for consistency. And we shouldn't be ashamed of him, but should gladly live our lives for Christ. Verse 27 tells us we're not to partake of the Lord's table unworthily. Only the blood of Christ makes us worthy to partake at this table. Only Christians should partake of the Lord's Supper. Sometimes it's difficult for a pastor, especially a young one, coming into a, a long-established church to follow God's instructions as to who should partake of the Lord's table. For example, in 1986, one pastor, it wasn't me, uh, I was born in 1986, but there was one pastor who was, uh, had just had his first communion in his new church in 1986, and before going through the Lord's Supper with his church, he explained that this ordinance was for the local body, and it was only for those who were saved. And so he said that those who were not saved could feel free to watch, but he requested that they wouldn't participate in the Lord's Supper. There were 15 people in attendance, including a man named Earl and his wife, Judy. Earl was a serious-looking man with gray beginning to speckle his hair. Judy was a sweet lady that had been praying for her husband's salvation for many years. The pastor was young. He was inexperienced. He was nervous about publicly asking those who are not saved, which included Earl, by the way, not to partake. But he knew that this was the what the... Bible said. 
After the service, Earl came straight at the pastor, grabbed his arm and said, I need to talk to you. And as the pastor led Earl to his office, he was sure this was going to be a hard conversation. And after they sat down in the office, Earl said, all right, I'm ready. The pastor was a little shocked, hoped that he didn't mean he was ready for a fight. You're ready, said the pastor. Yes, sir, I'm ready to be saved. You know, that pastor shared the gospel with him several times in the past, but it was through his stand on the Lord's Supper that it was for Christians that Earl saw his need for salvation. God blesses when his work is done his way. I've had a similar experience. You know, I started saying in my previous church that it needs to be those that are saved and baptized in obedience to the Lord. And there were many Christians that got baptized because of that. It brings repentance of our heart. We should examine ourselves in light of the cross. And then it brings revival of the church. Because when individuals repent, it affects the entire body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.27 says we should be discerning the Lord's body. This could refer to the physical body of Christ and the sacrifice he made, but also his body, the church. As we discern and we remember his broken physical body, we respect the local church body for which he shed his own blood. And one of the purposes of this table is to restore and promote unity within the local church. Paul gives an illustration of the importance of us coming together in unity in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 19. He says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be manifest among you. The Lord's table, it, it should bring us together. And when we examine our hearts by the word of God, the Holy Spirit is free to work in our church. And a proper respect for the Lord's table prevents the spread of division and false doctrine in the church. You know, God has given this ordinance as a sacred trust to his church. And before we observe it together, we are to prepare ourselves and cleanse our hearts and use this as a special time in which revival can come not only to us individually, but to us as a body. It's a constant remember, reminder of the price of our salvation and what Christ was willing to do for us. It's to remember the Lord, it's to revive his church, and it also is to ready us for his coming. Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Right there in verse 26 is the reminder that Christ is coming back. He might come back before we're finished this afternoon, and I'm okay with that. But it focuses our attention on the cross, and it also points us forward to his second coming, because there's the picture of his coming. The first thing we see when we look at the Lord's table is Christ's body that was broken and his blood that was shed. And then we examine our own hearts and ourselves and we test ourselves according to his word. And we ask the Lord to reveal to us anything that might be displeasing to him. And then we're reminded of his second coming in the phrase, till he come. Besides focusing our attention on his death, it reminds us that he's coming back. 
It reminds us of his return. And then there's the preparation for his coming. The Lord's table should remind us to be prepared for his coming. The first step in which we prepare for Christ to come back is to be sure that we know him as Savior, that we're born again, that we've trusted him as our own personal Savior. Because salvation is far weightier than partaking of the Lord's table. Those that know Christ as their Savior can say with Paul, I know whom I've believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. At the Lord's table, we look back at the cross, we're reminded of our Savior's love for us, and we're confident in our salvation. I've committed my soul to him. I know he is going to keep that. The Bible teaches that God's love for each and every one of us causes him to to desire a personal relationship with us. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the fact of the matter is, is that without Christ, without his his sacrifice on the cross, that sin separates us from God. We have no relationship with him. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The penalty for that sin is death. And with that death comes a real eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And there's no hope, the Bible says, without Christ. Ephesians makes it clear that apart from him, we are without God in this world and we have no hope. But Jesus Christ bore the penalty of our sin by shedding his blood on the cross. The payment for sin is death, but God commendeth, he proved his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved you and I so much that instead of punishing us for our sins, he punished his own son in our place so that we might have eternal life in Christ. And if you receive Christ as your Savior, you don't have to pay the price of death and hell for your sin because Jesus has paid it already when he died on the cross and rose again. If you aren't sure that your sins are forgiven, that you have eternal life, that you know Christ as your Savior, you need to claim that promise that all whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that verse. It's one of my favorites. Why? I'm a whosoever. I'm a whosoever. That verse means I'm saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need to be sure that you're saved and prepared for Christ's return. It's far more important than observing the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper comes after. And if you've already trusted Christ, realize that as Christians, we prepare for his coming by living in such a way that we could always anticipate his appearance with joy. 1 John 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for he, we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. If Christ should return right now, are you ready for his coming? A great illustration of this, all of us have been children before. 
is when our parents showed up earlier than we anticipated. Maybe they gave you a list of chores to accomplish. And if you didn't have it done when the car rolled in the driveway, you were not joyous at their coming. You know, Christ is coming back any moment now. He's given us, he's given us his expectations. And if we live our life according to what his word says, when he shows up, we'll be excited to see him. But if we aren't living our life as we ought to be, when he shows up, we'll have regret. As he said, when, when he shall appear, shall he find faith in the earth? Are you going to be ready for him when he comes? There's three purposes of the Lord's table, primarily that we remember him and his sacrifice for us. It's a sobering time, and it ought to be, because it puts things in perspective, that if Christ was willing to die for our souls, then there's nothing more important than living for Christ. The bread is a symbol of his body broken for us. The cup symbolizes his, his blood, which was shed for us. It should cause us to examine ourselves and our own hearts for anything that would grieve him. And if the Lord convicts us of sin, you ought to confess that and seek his forgiveness. If he shows you that you're at odds with someone in the church, you ought to seek to be reconciled to that person. There's no pass on the Lord's Supper to give you time to get over it. Only when we're walking in fellowship with him are we ready for his coming. That's what communion does for us. It brings us together. It unifies us. It puts Christ at the forefront of our minds that we might be pleasing to him and walk worthy, the Bible says, of the vocation wherewith we are called, focusing on the sacrifice which he was willing to make on our behalf. I'm going to ask our men to come and Dwight to join me at, at the table also. 1 Corinthians 11 is the passage that I like to read, and I'll read the portion again. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, even in the songs we sang today, it's hard to fathom that you would be willing to send your son to die in our place. We thank you, Lord, that he was willing to allow his body to be broken on our behalf. We pray, Father, that you would help us as we examine ourselves, that we would live in light of his sacrifice and be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.